All right, Ezekiel chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12, verses 1 through 16. Word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. You dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are rebe a rebellious house. As for you, son of man, prepare yourself for yourself and exile's baggage, and go into exile by day in their sight. You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. You shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exile, and you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight as those who must go into exile. In their sight, dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. In their sight, you shall lift the baggage upon your shoulder and carry it out at dusk. You shall cover your face that you may not see the land, for I have made you a sign for the house of Israel. I did as I was commanded. I brought out my baggage by day as baggage for exile, and in the evening I dug through the wall with my own hands. I brought out my baggage at dusk, carrying it on my shoulder in their sight. In the morning the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I am a sign for you, as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk, and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it. He shall cover his face, that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it. And he shall die there, and I will scatter toward every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops, and I will unsheathe the sword after them, and they shall know that I am the Lord, when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. But I will let a few of them escape from the sword, from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord." This is the section we're going to try to cover tonight, and like I said before we started our recording, hopefully we'll even get a little bit further in this chapter, time permitting. Ezekiel is now told to act out his next prophecy, and this prophecy concerns the king and the people still left in Jerusalem. When he talks about the prince, that's actually the king Zedekiah that's back in Jerusalem at this time. Ezekiel never refers to Zedekiah as the king. If you know anything about Zedekiah's kingship, he was placed as the king over Israel by Nebuchadnezzar. When he went in and took out Jehoiachin and all that exile, when, it, when Ezekiel went into exile, he decided that Zedekiah would be the one who was the king in, in Jerusalem. And since God didn't appoint that guy king, Ezekiel just calls him the prince. So this prophecy, this going into exile that he's to act out, is referring to what's going to happen in the next few years to Zedekiah and the people in Jerusalem, but he's, to, he's supposed to give this prophecy to the exiles that are there in Babylon with him. You can see this because look at verses 1, 2, and 3 again. He says, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. As for you, son of man, prepare for yourself an exile's baggage, and go into exile by day in their sight." 
You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they'll understand, though they're a rebellious house. Now later on, as you saw, he goes and says, this prophecy is referring to or concerning the people that are in Jerusalem. Actually, you're going to talk about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but this prophecy is to the people that you're with there in Babylon. Now that's an interesting thing. Why is he giving a prophecy about what's going to happen to Jerusalem people to the people that are there in this in area of Babylon, and as God says, perhaps they'll understand, even though they're rebellious. Maybe they'll catch on. Maybe they'll get it. And here's the reason why. Because unfortunately, there were in Babylon false prophets who were telling the exiles who were in Babylon, this is going to be real quick, and we're going back to Jerusalem. And so they weren't believing that this exile was going to be very long. Remember, we've read a couple of times the letter that Jeremiah wrote in chapter 29 to the exiles in Babylon, where he said, build houses, plant crops, let your kids marry each other. You're going to be there for 70 years. <clears throat> but because of the fact that there were false prophets there saying this isn't going to be a long time, Ezekiel is told by God to give a prophecy about what's going to happen to the king in Jerusalem and what's going to happen. Go to Jeremiah 29. Don't just take my word for it. Let me just show you a couple of things that kind of illustrate the fact that there were false prophets saying that things were going to be fine. Jeremiah 29, look at verses 1 through 9. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to, to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, and that's Jehoiachin, by the way, and the queen mother of the, and the, uni, the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, the king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem, to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you'll find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Back up one book, chapter 28, sorry, one chapter in this book, chapter 28, look at verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> it says, In the same year... At the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, took away from this place, and carried to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So this quote-unquote prophet there in Jerusalem is saying to everybody, hey, it's going to be fine. I know there were some people that were taken, even our king was taken into exile. They're only going to be there a couple of years. And God has said he's bringing them back. So now you get this guy here, Gibeon, uh, sorry, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, 
You got him saying it's only going to be a couple of years that these people are in exile. You got Jeremiah in the very next chapter writing a letter to the exile saying, hey, build houses, plant crops, let your kids marry, and you're going to be there 70 years. So which is it? Go to chapter 29. Look at verses 15 through 23. You'll see that there's still more in this area of false prophets. In Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 15. Because you have said the Lord has raised up for us prophets in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your kinsmen, who did not go out with you into exile, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence. I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles, whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. By the way, does Nebuchadnezzar have a fiery furnace? Whom, whom the king of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, roasted in the fire because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives. They have not spoke, have spoken in my name lying words that, they, that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. Jeremiah now, as you see here, goes on even further, and he says to the exiles who are there in, in Babylon, oh, there are a couple of guys there, and one of them has the same name as the king back in Jerusalem, and that's what confuses some people. But there's a couple of guys here who have been telling you that everything's going to be fine and you're going back. God says that actually those guys that have been lying to you and saying it's from the Lord, God's going to do this to them, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to roast them in the fire. Now, here's what we're going to deal with a little bit tonight. We get Jeremiah saying one thing, and you got Hananiah saying another thing, and these other guys, Zedekiah and this other one, saying you know, something else. How do you know which prophet is speaking the truth? How do you know which prophet is from the Lord? Okay, that's one of the ones, and we're going to get to that one second. There's another thing we need to look for even before that. The answer you'll find in Deuteronomy 13. Go to Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. In Deuteronomy 13, look at it says, it says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, means like doing miracles even, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. 
so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Here he sa God says this, even if this person does amazing, miraculous stuff and this stuff actually happens, if what they say doesn't match up with the word of God, don't listen to them. They're not from God. Now, let me just say something to you that you need to hear. And some of you might live in circles where you think, oh, that's not really going on. But folks, listen closely. The Bible says that in the latter days, and we're in those, that there are going to be doctrines in the church taught by demons. And preachers in the church are going to be preaching things that don't match up with the Word of God. And people are going to be believing what they're saying. And listen to me, there are many famous preachers now around this country that a lot of younger people especially are following who are teaching that there are many ways to God, not Jesus isn't the only way. And you would be absolutely dumbfounded if you saw how much it's happening. But folks, you'd be amazed at some of the things that are happening in the emerging church movement and all this stuff that's starting to happen. People may look at it from the outside and say, oh man, look at these big churches and all these great things that are happening and all these young people worshiping the Lord. The Bible's not being taught. And what they are saying doesn't match up with the Word of God. And the first thing we need to look for is not, does it come to pass? The issue is, is what they're saying match up with the Word of God? Now, I'm going to do something that I've done in times past, and I might have done it here, I'm not sure. I do it in a lot of places where I want to teach this truth, and I'm not doing it to embarrass you or to shame you. But I need to prove a point. Show of hands, how many of you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Okay, hands down. Now, I'm not going to ask you to do this, but of you, all of you that raised your hand that you believed in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, where in the Bible does it actually say he'd be born of a virgin? Could you actually show me where it is? Many of you would say, Jim, do you question the virgin birth? No, I didn't say it's not in the Bible. I'm just saying, could you even tell me where it is? Because most people in the church today believe a correct doctrine. Yes, he was born of a virgin, had to be born of a virgin. But most people have no idea where that is in the Bible. And I'm going to tell you why that's important in just a second. Again, show of hands, how many of you believe in the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Great. Could any of you tell me where in the world that is in the Bible? It actually is in many places. It actually is in many places. It never uses the word Trinity, but it is throughout the Bible it teaches. I could show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, of course, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God said, let us. But what I want you to understand is there are places that the Bible teaches this wonderful doctrine. But most of you would probably say, Jim, I don't know. I just know it's there. Listen closely to me. The only reason you believe in the virgin birth and the doctrine of the Trinity, which are awesome doctrines, is because someone told you. The Bible says in the last days there's going to be preachers and teachers who teach things that aren't in the Bible. And if you don't know what the Bible says, you will be led astray. Yes, ma'am. I'm not assuming. What I'm saying is this. I let what I just did hit wherever it's supposed to hit. Know your Bible and know what it says. You can be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. The Bible says that they were more noble than the Thessalonians. Because when Paul came and preached there in Berea, they checked everything Paul said against the Scriptures. I hope you do the same thing. I hope you notice most of the time, all I do is just share with you, look what the Scripture says, look what the Scripture says, look what the Scripture says. If you really are honest, you'll say, man, Jim doesn't really have a lot to say. Good. I don't. 
I just believe the Bible has got a lot to say. And that's why I want to teach and preach the Word of God, because I want to equip you with the Word. The first thing we're looking for in these days is, is what they're saying match up with the Word of God. Because they'll come up with ways that sound so reasonable, it makes a ton of sense, but it doesn't match up with the Word. And if you don't know the Word, you will be tricked. The second thing, like you said, the Scripture goes on and also says, does what they say is going to happen actually come to pass? All right? And, and go to Deuteronomy 18. Look at verses 20 through 22. Go ahead. Replacement theology is being taught, and that's not in the Bible. Unfortunately, it's not in the Bible. Replacement theology is just simply that the church has replaced Israel. All the promises for Israel are now being fulfilled in the church, and God's done with Israel. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So, Revelation chapter, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 18, look at verses 20 and through 22. It says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, How may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So, how are we going to know whether or not the preachers are telling us the truth? First off, does what they say match up with the word of God? The whole of scripture. Not taking one verse and twisting it out of context to teach something that doesn't match with the whole book. And secondly, does what they say God is going to do actually happen? Okay, keep that in mind as we move forward. Go to Jeremiah chapter 28. Look at verses 5 through 17. Remember, we had just, when we read the previous verses to this, uh, there was this guy, Hananiah, the son of Azur, saying that, hey, it's just going to be two years, and you'll be back. The exiles will be back. Listen to verse 5 and following. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to Hananiah, the prophet in the presence of the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true, Hananiah, and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Yet hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. The prophets who preceded you and me from ancient times prophesied war, famine, and pestilence, against many countries and great kingdoms. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah, and the prophet broke, the prophet and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years." But Jeremiah the prophet went his way. Sometime after the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke bars off the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, you have broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all those nations, all these nations, an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth, 
This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Oh, by the way, which prophecy came true? Hananiah, was he right? About how they're all going to two years, they're going to be back, and all the vessels that were stolen from the house of the Lord? No. Jeremiah, the prophet's words, are the ones that came true. Folks, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ and all the things that the Bible says are coming into play in the last days, we need to know what the Bible says about these last days and what is coming because there are a lot of people that are teaching things about the end of the world and the kingdom to come that don't match up with Scripture. And they are preachers in the Christian church and people are being led astray. One of the things that grieves me as I travel around is how very little the Christian church today really understands prophecy and really understands where we are in the timetable of God's plan and what's going on in the world right now. Most of them are oblivious, and because of that, they're susceptible to false teaching about what is to come. And they're not going to be prepared, and they're going to be possibly... Remember how Jesus said when the Antichrist comes onto the scene? When he steps into the wing of the temple, he's going to do miracles and wonders that will fool even the elect if that were possible. There are going to be many who are fooled by this. And so, folks, I say to you, please, 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 don't just come to Bible study. Read the word for yourself. Ask God to show you. Study the Old Testament, because you're going to see the importance of that later tonight if we get that far. Study the Old Testament so you'll know what is coming, because the prophecies about Jesus' first coming, were they fulfilled, by the way? Every single one of them, literally, to the day, to the minute, to the detail, so will all the prophecies about his second coming. And oh, by the way, there's almost three or four times as many prophecies about his second coming than his first. And so I just wanted to say that to you. You're going to be hearing lying preachers out there. You better check what I'm saying against the scriptures. I don't take lightly this role he's been given. He's given to me because in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, not all of you should seek to be teachers. By the way, there's a lot that are seeking to be teachers. Because those of us who have been called to teach will be held in higher and stricter accountability. When we stand and say, thus says the Lord, we will be held accountable for whether or not God actually said it. And so please understand that whatever I share with you isn't some whim or some feeling or some thought that I have. And that's why a lot of times whenever you come and ask me questions about what's to come or what's happening or how do you feel about Trump winning and how do you think that plays in, all the time I'm thinking, what does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? What does the scripture say? Because honestly, I don't know a lot of things, but I know what the scripture says and I'm just going to share with you, here's what the word says. And so with that in mind, we're then go back to Ezekiel chapter 12. It says, Ezekiel's told to prepare an exile's baggage and to bring it out in the day. But then in their sight, he's to dig a hole in his wall and sneak out of his house at dusk and cover his face so he can't see the land. This visual prophecy was exactly what happened to King Zedekiah and those with him. I want you to see it. Look at chapter 12, verses 8 through 15. It says, in the morning, Ezekiel 12, verse 8, in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, has not the house of Israel the rebellious house, said to you, what are you doing? Because he's been doing this now for a few days. They've seen him doing this, getting his exiles baggage, which is a small little backpack kind of a thing, and digging a hole in his wall, because their houses were made out of like mud huts, you know, and he'd just dig a little hole in his wall and sneak out at night, and he's covering his face so he can't see. 
He says, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem, that's Zedekiah, and all the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I am a sign for you, as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it, and he shall cover his face that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. Listen closely. Yet he shall not see it. In other words, he'll be brought to Babylon, the prophecy says, but he will never see Babylon. He'll be there, but he'll not see it. You'll see how important that is. And he'll, she'll, he shall die there. And I'll scatter toward every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all that. And how God says he's going to go after the, go after the people that go with him. Go back with me now to, to 2 Kings chapter 25. I'm going to read to you an account of what Ezekiel just prophesied was to happen. 2 Kings chapter 25. Look at verses 1 through 7. It says, in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came out with all his army. By the way, this is the, the ninth year of the reign of Zedekiah. In the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it, and they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city, and all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls. This is them going out between the walls that he was talking about. By the king's garden, and the Chaldeans were around the city, and they went in the direction of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plain of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. What did the prophecy say was going to happen? That at night he was going to sneak out through the wall. He was going to be captured. They were going to capture him, take him to Babylon, but he's never going to see Babylon. You know how that happened? Because they poked his eyes out. And when he was in Babylon, he never saw it. Just like God said would happen. Folks, that's why it's so important that you know the book of Revelation and what it says. That's why you need to know the prophecies of what's coming. Don't do it in order to figure out this is going to happen, then this, and then this, and we argue with each other over what the timetable is. No, we're not to know the times or the dates the Father set by His own authority. But we are to know that everything written in the prophets will take place. And we need to know what they say, because when preachers come and say, hey, there's going to be this great revival in the land, and there's going to be all this wonderful stuff, and the church is going to take over the world and change the world for Jesus Christ, is that what the Bible says is going to happen in the last days? Or does the Bible say that there's going to be godlessness in the last days, and love of most will grow cold? And Jesus himself even said, when the Son of Man comes, will he even find faith on the earth? Folks, the Bible's very clear. It's going to get worse and worse. And worse. Am I relieved as to what's happened in our government for a season? Sure. Do I think that we've got a reprieve from the judgment of God? There's a strong chance what's happened with him becoming president might pick up the speed of prophecy being fulfilled. 
And some of you are giggling. I'm a little giggly too, but I'm just ready for the return of Jesus. But go to verse 16 of Ezekiel chapter 12. This is a very important verse that will help us understand one of the reasons why God sends the Jews into exile. In verse 16 of Ezekiel 12, it says, But I'll let a few of them escape from the sword and from famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go, and may know that I am the Lord. Last week we looked at this passage briefly, and we dealt with the fact that there are a couple of reasons why God sent the exiles into the land. One was so the people that they went into exile would know that they're the Lord, and that also that the people that He sent into exile would know that He's the Lord. But I'm going to go into it in a little bit more detail tonight, because there's something here I want you to see. All right? So what does it mean to declare their abominations among the nations? What does that mean, that they're going to declare their abominations among the nations? And how will this be used to have them know that He is the Lord? Well, the answer you're going to find in Jeremiah 16. Go back to Jeremiah chapter 16. Look at verses 10 through 21. <clears throat> Jeremiah 16, verses 10 through 21. And when you tell this people all these words, and they say to you, Why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. All right. Keep reading. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And after it, I'll send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain, every hill, and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on their, all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin, because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols, and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can a man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. Therefore, behold, I will make them know this once. I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Now, as you put this together, listen to what God said through Jeremiah. If people come and ask you, Jeremiah, as you're prophesying all this judgment to come on the people of Israel, and they say, why is God going to do all this evil to us? Tell them this is why. Because your fathers were worshiping other gods and doing what I said not to. And also because you're even worse than them and you're following the evil in your heart and you're going after other gods. Tell you what I'm going to do. You want to worship these other gods? Why don't you just go live in that area where this all came from and you can serve them day and night? In other words, you want to play with Satan? Go get your fill. You want to try to play in the world a little bit and pretend to be my people a little bit? It doesn't work like that. You can't serve two masters. 
You're going to hate one and love the other. I'm going to remove my protection from you and let you go get all the fun you want with those other gods. You want to look at them? Go where they are served day and night. I bet you get to the point where you say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there's no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. In other words, by the time you've been in that other country, worshiping these gods, instead of on your way, but now their way all the time, you're going to realize this ain't it. Folks, you're going to see this principle throughout the scriptures. This is the story of the prodigal son. The son comes to the father and says, I don't want to wait until you die to get my inheritance. You're dead to me now. Give me my inheritance now so I can go live my life the way I want to live it. Now, again, you've heard me say this before. If one of your kids ever came to you and said, you're dead to me now, give me my inheritance, what would you say to your kid? Over my dead body, right? But the father in this story is God. And what does God the father do? He says, here, take it. Go get your fill. The guy goes off. By the way, did the dad know he was going to waste the money and blow the inheritance? Of course he did. But what happened while he was in the far country serving that God day and night? He got his eyes open. Well put. He got his eyes open. He realized this ain't it. And then he woke up to the fact that, you know what? Back at my father's house, even the servants had it better than this. Oh, by the way, you're going to find in Scripture the same principle. You're going to find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Don't have to turn there. In verses 1 through 5, it says this. Paul's dealing with the church there in Corinth, and there's a man there in the church who's now sleeping with his father's wife. Now, it's not his mom. I guess his father's got another wife, and this younger man is sleeping with his father's wife. Maybe the dad and the wife got in a divorce or something, and the son's now dating her. Don't know how it all plays out, but in a weird way, the church in Corinth is okay with it. Paul actually says, you can go look, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5. He says, and you think it's all right. Paul then says, hand this individual over to Satan, that his soul may be saved. In other words, when our kids were little, and you probably did the same thing when your kids were little, and you were baking an, uh, something in the oven, a pie or a cake, you know that glass gets kind of hot on the front of the oven. And your kids are little and they kind of wander up and they want to go touch the glass. And you say, honey, don't touch it. It's hot. And then they put their hand up a second time and you say, honey, don't touch it. It's going to burn you. And they reach for that glass again. You might even slap their hand and say, honey, look, I'm saying you this because it's for your best. Don't do it. I know it looks enticing. I know the light makes you kind of excited and you want to see what's going on and you want to touch it. Trust me, that's not for your best. If they keep reaching, what will you eventually let them do? I used to say, put your lips on it if you want to. <laughs> I remember years ago when AJ was real little, and we lived in Chicago in a parsonage right next to the church, and I hope that never happens ever again. And uh, in the backyard, I was playing with Nicole. She was about three maybe five, I don't remember exactly, after a while the years blur together. 
But she was young, and we were kicking a ball back and forth, and I was smoking some meat in a smoker. I love to grill, and I love to smoke. And AJ, though, was barely not even one, and, but he was walking. and He kept wanting to go over and touch the smoker, and I couldn't kick the ball with Nicole and keep an eye on AJ because he kept running. He's fast. So finally, I said, do you want to touch it? She goes, yeah. I got to tell you what. Take one finger, just one finger, go ahead and touch it. He got so excited, he went over there. And by the way, he let out a scream that got me in so much trouble with Becky. <laughs> you what? But you know what? I didn't have to worry about AJ in that grill anymore. We could just play. I could just let him go because he wasn't going anywhere near that grill. What did I have to do? I had to say, look, I've tried to tell you. I've been sending my prophets. I've been trying to warn you. This isn't for your best. But if you want to do it, go get your fill. Live out your abominations in that other country. You're going to realize this ain't it. Some of you might have come out of alcoholism or drug abuse. And at the time, you thought this was living. Until you came to your senses. You got your fill. You realize this ain't it. And folks, that doesn't mean this person's lost. Remember how Paul said that his soul may be saved? Hand him over to Satan. Because the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Satan is a roaring lion seeking who he may what? Devour, chew up, spit out. And sometimes we parents don't want to see our kids go through struggle. and We keep not letting them hit the bottom. Maybe sometimes you got to say, look, we've told you. But until you realize this ain't it, we can't help you. Go jump in with both feet. We'll be right here when you come to your senses. God said, go live out your abominations in these other nations so that you'll know that I'm the Lord. I want to read to you something kind of cool. Go to Isaiah 64. This is Jim Johnson not saying, thus says the Lord. But I think I'm right, and I've almost got God convinced. No, I'm just kidding on that part. But listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. I don't know this for a fact. I'm not saying thus says the Lord. But I really believe with everything in me and my understanding of the Scriptures and what's to come that what I'm about to read to you most likely is going to be read and quoted by the Jews when they're in the wilderness, hiding from the Antichrist. I really believe this. Listen to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Isn't that what the Bible says he's going to do in his second coming? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And those of us who study Revelation know what we're reading here. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. 
There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been burned by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? Here we see the nation of Israel calling out to God and saying, would you come and make things right? We sin. And you were angry at us because of our sin, and rightfully so. And we're grieved for our land. Would you come? We're the, the clay. You're the potter. You get to do however you choose. I think this is going to be one of the many places that the Jews are going to be calling out to God from in those days when they come to their realization that Jesus is the Messiah and the prophecies are being fulfilled and all those things are happening. You've been good. I think we can carry on a little bit. Go to Ezekiel 12. Go to verses 17 through 28. <clears throat> Ezekiel 12, verse 17 through 28. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink water with trembling and with anxiety. And say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink water in dismay. In this way, her land will be stripped of all it contains on account of the violence of all those who dwell in it. And the inhabited city shall be laid waste and the land shall become a desolation. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, what is this proverb that you have heard that, that you have about the land of Israel saying the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I'll put an end to this proverb and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are near and the fulfillment of every vision, for there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak and it will be performed. It will no longer be delayed. But in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, behold, the, they of the house of Israel say the vision that he sees is for many days from now. And he prophesies of times far off. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer. But the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord. All right. Ezekiel is now told to eat his bread and drink his water with trembling as a picture of what life will soon be like in Jerusalem. How can we know it will be soon? Does anybody know how we'll know it'll be soon? I just read it. God just said, I'm not going to delay anymore. It's going to happen in your days. In other words, hey, you guys in exile in Babylon, in your lifetime, you're going to see everything that I said that I would do to Zedekiah in Jerusalem. You'll see it happen. All right. Now, the people of Israel, though, had developed a saying. We can see it here. Look at verse uh, 21. And the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, what is this proverb that you have? about the land of Israel, saying, the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing. In other words, this is what they were saying. The days grow long and all the visions come to nothing. In other words, everything just keeps going on as it always has. Does that sound familiar? Exactly. We're going to get to that passage in just a second. 
But God gives them a timetable. He tells them in their, destru their destruction will happen in their days. Now, notice, though, how the same people who were saying that the coming judgment wouldn't come are now the ones that are saying it's not going to it's going to happen, but not for a long time. Isn't that interesting? They're saying it's not going to happen. Remember last time we were together, they said the, the walls of the cauldron and where the meat and the fire may hit the cauldron, but it ain't going to affect us. It might get warm, but we're not going to get touched by the fire. It ain't going to happen. Prophets are saying, hey, don't worry about it. Exile is going to be a couple of years and you and the, everything going back to Jerusalem. Everything's great. But now look at verse 28. I'm sorry, 26. Go ahead. Yeah, well, as you know, Pelatiah dies as he was reading, doing that one prophecy, and then Hananiah dies, you know, that same year and all that. Yep. It, again, there's lots of reasons why we're blind to the truth. But look at verse 26. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Like I said, they went from saying it ain't going to happen to, okay, it might happen, but it ain't going to happen for a while. I share this with you, and the reason I was glad that we had time to get to the end of this chapter is I just want to read to you Scripture as we bring this study to a close. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, the passage you were talking about earlier. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 13. And you're going to see that same attitude is going to creep up in our day, and it already has. 2 Peter chapter 3, listen to verses 1 through 13. Peter says, God says through Peter, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And by that means, and by the, by the means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Global warming is going to happen. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for, listen closely, and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Folks, it can't be any more clear than that. Did the flood change the whole shape of the earth? Was everyone judged except for those God spared? In the same way, that same earth which was reserved for water and judged by water is now going to, is being reserved for fire. And the universe that you see, the heavens, will be all melted 
A judgment is coming. Go to Jude, the book of Jude, verses 17 through 23. Jude, verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles and of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Um, again, there are going to be people that are saying, this isn't going to happen. No, it's going to happen. It's coming. Go to Acts chapter 3. Look at verses 17 through 21. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter now, preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, hey, everything that happened to Jesus in his first coming was all foretold by the prophets, and it all came true. This same Jesus now has gone to the Father until the time for restoring all the things that the prophets have spoken about. What are some of the things that the prophets have spoken about that are going to be restored? That was a question, by the way. The land of Israel is going to be rebuilt and restored after the tribulation period, after the final, the end of the tribulation period. Remember, the whole earth is going to be leveled. There are going to be no more mountains, no more islands, none, none of that stuff. Jerusalem itself is going to split into three parts. The center part is going to be raised up high, and the other two parts, north and south of it, are going to be flattened out. And the nations during the Millennial Kingdom are all going to come and go up to Jerusalem. It's going to be an amazing thing and worship the Lord while He's there. So the land of Israel is going to be restored. What else is going to be restored? The temple is going to be restored and be rebuilt, and it's going to be an amazing temple. By the way, and we'll get to that later on in our study of Ezekiel. We'll see a full description of the Millennial Temple. What are some other things that are going to be restored? Creation is going to be righteousness. The I got to go back to Daniel. Go way back to Daniel chapter 9. Oh, no, you got, you got one of the many right answers, but I want you to see there's, there's a lot that is still yet to happen. Daniel chapter 9. Go to verse 24. You know, Daniel had been reading in the prophet Jeremiah. We know now chapter 29 about how the captivity was going to be around 70 years. He starts praying for the people in the whole city of Jerusalem. Gabriel comes and says, hey, and this is what Gabriel says in verse 24. Seventy-sevens or 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, 
to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Then he goes on and says, you understand, from the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem until the coming Messiah, there's going to be so many sevens and then so many sevens. And remember our study from Revelation, we back, broke this all down, how literally from the day that and, and we see in Nehemiah chapter 2, that, that they said, Nehemiah, you go ahead and you can rebuild the walls. From that day, it took them 49 years, just like the prophecy said, there'd be seven sevens and then 62 sevens. And it took them 49 years to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the walls. And then there was a 62 sevens from that point until the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And then God put Israel on hold. Remember Revelation chapter 11 last week? Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. There is still one seven-year period left in that prophecy of 77s. 69 of them were fulfilled literally to the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, but then he put them on hold. He's doing this church age thing right now to make Israel jealous and to display his glory to the heavenly beings through the church. But it's not about us. This time's going to come to a close, and he's going to finish what he started. All the prophecies, let me ask you again. It says 77s, even though there's still one that hasn't happened yet, are decreed about the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Has that happened yet? No, then all the things that the prophecies said are still to happen haven't happened. To seal both vision and prophet. In other words, where we won't need the prophets anymore, or the preachers and the teachers. Is that day here? When the, Remember we looked in the prophecies last time during the millennial kingdom. You won't have anybody saying, know the Lord, because they're all going to know him. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm going to play a lot of golf. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. I may not be kidding. I don't know. I may, I may play a lot of golf. Miles, Miles he might get, have a chance against me. We'll see here, but... The scriptures say that this stuff is still all yet to happen. Remember what Peter, full of the Spirit, preached there at Pentecost and then the days following. Jesus has gone to heaven until the time for restoring all the things that the prophets have spoken. That's why we need to know the Old Testament because that's where we have the law and the prophets and, as Jesus said, even the prophecy in the Psalms will close in Luke 24. Go to Luke 24. Don't forget Luke 24. Verse 25 and then verse 44. Two men on the road to Emmaus had heard. They'd been with Jesus. They were one of the group. They considered the two women, Mary and the other Mary. They said some of our women. They even recounted to Jesus about how they had said they had seen him risen, some angels, a couple of our guys. We know that Peter and John went and went to the temple on the tomb and looked in and he wasn't there. But we don't know. And these two guys go away discouraged. And if you know the story, Jesus walks with them along the road to Emmaus. Listen to what he says in verse 25 to them. Luke 24, verse 25. Jesus said, said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Look at verse 44. After he reveals himself to them at their house with the breaking of the bread, they, he disappears and they run all the way back to Jerusalem. He comes into the upper room and he said to them, and the, all those that were gathered there, said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Folks, one of the saddest things is the Christian church today, most, if they even read the Bible, only read the New Testament. They don't know the Old Testament at all. Oh, they might know the story of Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and different stories from the Bible, but they don't know the Old Testament, nor have they studied it. And I don't know about you, as we've been doing the study of Ezekiel, which ties into Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the Hasn't it been pretty cool to see all this stuff come alive from the book? Jesus met with the church in that upper room, and he said, everything that was written about me in the first five books of the Bible and all the prophets, major and minor, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I think that means we need to go read those books. I encourage you, believe that the spirit within you will give you understanding and begin to dive into what is still yet to come. Because in these days where there'll be scoffers and false teachers, you will know what the truth of the word says and you'll have peace in these days. And until then, I'll see you next week.